0: Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape.
1: Good day, everyone. This is Ed McGuire, Insights partner at Momenta Partners, with another episode of our Edge podcast series. And today, we have a very special guest, Rob Tiffany, who's uh, something of a, a, a renaissance man in the uh, Internet of Things world. He's uh, he's an innovator. He's uh, he's been a CTO. He's a board member at m- uh, multiple companies. He's he's an author. Uh, he's a speaker, and uh, he also has a terrific website which I recommend called the Internet of It's a blog, and he he also uh, he also does podcasts as well, which are very much worth listening to. Rob, it's, uh, it's great to have you join us.
2: Hey, it's great to be here, Ed. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh,
1: so, Rob, it would be great to get a, a, a bit of perspective on just you know, for for people who, who don't know your story, uh, share a bit of your background and really what's, what's informed your view of what we call connected industry or really industrial IoT.
2: Sure. Well, because I'm so old, <laughs> um, I got started in this space a long, long time ago. Um, gosh, I'd say early mid 90s, like right after I got out of the military. The first thing I, I joined a startup in Bellevue, Washington called Real Time Data. Uh, I guess this was in like 94, 95 timeframe. And th- the whole gist of that was connecting unintelligent vending machines um, and getting data from them, you know, to, to optimize their operations. No inventory, no, you know, when route drivers are where to go, what to bring, all that kind of stuff. Stuff that I hear people talk about like it's new today. Um, and so... I'm just a kid, you know, learning from a bunch of old guys at the time who really taught me everything. And so you can imagine how much harder doing this, you know, connected stuff was back then. You know, the you had you didn't have smart anything <laughs> so you had, you had dumb vending machines and and you were we were we had i would say we had different teams we had people who were looking at the vending machines from the different vendors the classifications of them you can almost think of this when you when we talk about digital twins today imagine us with blueprints and stuff and kind of you had the, the instance the digital twin of certain machines but we also had kind of like you know, a lot of times you think of the 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 type you know, a class of you know of machines that are all the same. We were having to go do that stuff. We had a team that was doing uh, the firmware development, and so we had our black box uh, our firmware. You know, you know, you're writing all your stuff in C uh, that would sit inside these dumb vending machines. We had cabling connecting all this. You know, you know, candy machines, Coke machines, Pepsi, whatever. The way they push stuff out. And so, we're having to physically connect to all that stuff, uh, find out how much money is in the coin tray, you know, remember, you know, you didn't used to use credit cards, you had to put in quarters. Um, Then we had a whole other team of some of the best RF engineers in the world. Uh, We were creating our own modems. We were bouncing packets off of 450 megahertz business radio towers. We were using technologies like RAM mobile data that BlackBerry would ultimately start using years later. Um, and then and then there was the side, kind of the, the computer side, you know, how do you view what's going on on a, on a PC in this case? And so just to give you perspective, you know, this is back in the Windows 3.1 time frame going into the Windows 95 time frame, um, Visual Basic. <laughs> um and then putting these packets together and learning about, you know, lots of hard lessons, I think, where I got pounded into my brain about efficiency uh, at the thing side on machines, uh, efficiency in wire protocols, you know, so we were having to create our own bit encoded packets because, you know, unlike today, or, or you know, I don't, don't want to necessarily compare it to what we're doing in IoT now, but, um you had to pay by the byte. You had to be super efficient. You know, it wasn't before, it wasn't like the times when you started to get unlimited cellular data, you know? And so uh, and so everything was super expensive, but you know, a lot a lot of times in life, uh, when you are given insane constraints, that creates, it, it makes you be creative about what you're doing and you come up with better solutions than when you can be lazy and you have unlimited bandwidth and unlimited storage and you know, that kind of stuff. So all those things put together to, to build this company, gosh, I think we raised $60 million back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, all that kind of stuff was kind of like my trial by fire to teach me all this stuff that would ultimately become the Internet of Things. Ultimately, at some point, we did start using the Internet after we started using, you know, because you're obviously you're using all kind of proprietary networks and things. Uh, but the idea is the same. You're moving data. About a thing to somewhere else and analyzing it and making decisions, um, and so uh, it was. It was really remarkable the the outcomes of that kind of stuff. You know the efficiencies. You know, obviously the pitch to all the vending machine companies was, you know, you're going to pay us a subscription to have this technology in your vending machines, but we promise we're going to. You're gonna make more money or save more money than what you're paying us uh for doing it. And and that absolutely played out as you might imagine, you know, routes got more efficient. You, pretty soon you, you were in the distribution center pre-kidding exactly what needed to go and where, you know. Before that, people were just guessing, right, or, was, you, you know, gut instinct on, hey, here's where I, I'm going to go visit all the vending machines on my route today. I'm going to have a pickup truck of all the possible things I could need. Uh, going away from that to really being targeted Um, And another cool thing I think we learned along the way, you know, lots of times you're just bumbling and stumbling along. Um, We learned about merchandising. Uh, And so we went from driving efficiencies in those companies to helping them make more money. uh, When you started to see in real time what kind of items, like let's say you're looking at a city and you got vending machines and buildings and offices all over the city. And so, as it turns out, all those, you know, usually you have banks of machines together, right? Um, and you'd have people working in offices near those machines. Well, as it turns out, in real time, you can start to determine the preferences of those folks, and you find out, hey, they like Snickers or white donuts or whatever, and they, they're, they're eating more of those than normal. And so, you'd start doubling up Uh, on those kind of things. And you'd also find out in real time what products were not interesting to folks. And so you'd move them out. And so all of a sudden we started to find ways to make these folks more money. And then we could sell that data actually back to the manufacturers of foods and drinks and things like that. So, uh, so that was kind of my journey, uh, (laughs)
1: Uh, it's pretty pretty forward thinking. I mean, when when you when you think about where, where we are today, I mean, those same problems are uh, driving efficiencies and 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 being able to in, improve sales are you know some of the same value propositions that that uh, people are are you know, arguing are are new today in in many cases. I mean, it sounds like you were you guys are really at the at the ground level in terms of connecting data with these you know these physical assets and then moving past the uh, the pure operational efficiencies into into being able to, to be proactive in terms of the merchandising. Um, yeah. I mean, what, so could you talk a bit about some of the um, – what you would consider some of the most um, – uh, important tech, technology innovations, or uh, you know, or or some of the and or frankly, some of the obstacles that you faced along the way um, that we've seen uh, evolve since that you know that that have really allowed this you know this this type of vision to uh, to become much easier over time.
2: Yeah, and you know what, the word easy is is right on huh. the money. I might be one of those people. It'll sound who knows how well this comes off. I really think IoT is really easy. I really do. Um, <laughs> Once a year, we we have a big camping trip out in Eastern Washington with all the guys. You know, most of them are all retired who were part of that team back then. You know, and a lot of these guys came from NASA and Allied Signal, and they some of the same guys who built the black boxes for all the aircrafts and stuff like that. And we talked about how hard it was to do what we did back then and how easy it is to do it today. And you, you can imagine sitting around a campfire joking about, gosh, if we were going to do that same thing all over again, you know, we could be up and running in weeks because machines got smarter. Um, I, I would say the biggest innovation, you know, and, and I know we're talking about IoT, and so we're talking about the Internet or i Internet protocol, but in my mind, the thing that really blew the doors open and made a whole lot of things possible really was wireless technology, actually. Um, wireless data networks, by far, in my mind, have had bigger impact than any other thing uh, in making a lot of this stuff possible. Now, sure, in factories and things we use Ethernet and all, you see all kinds of weird ways to get data moved around, but uh, you know the whole cellular industry taking off from its earliest days, getting early days of cellular data. And yeah, it was expensive, but it got better and better. And it has facilitated so many industries. uh, And being able to, you know, when I think of IoT in its simplest form, I'm remotely knowing something, right, about a machine somewhere or, or, or a process or whatever. And wireless technologies, whether it's the growth of cellular networks all over the country and all over the world, or Wi-Fi, or things like that, big time. And so in those early days, it was primitive. And and so the fact that I'm telling you, we were creating our own modems. And, and we, you know, kind of by hook or by crook, right? We had to do whatever we could to move that data. The concepts are the same, but it was really hard to do it. And so... Uh, so yeah, I'm going to stick to my guns. I think the whole smartphone revolution kind of validates me, uh, along with you know most especially outdoor stuff. When I think about IoT and and using cellular networks and things like that, and of course you know you got uh, you know low bandwidth things like Sigfox and LoRaWAN and stuff like that. But uh, that's that's made things a lot easier. Uh, technology got easier. Software. You know, so we're software development. Doing firmware development was so hard back then, as you can imagine. It's not like it's easy today. And then software on computers and things like that—it's got dramatically easier. Uh, the programming languages are easier to work with. Higher-level languages, you can get a lot more accomplished, a lot more quickly. Um, just, just great stuff. Huge, huge innovations.
1: Yeah, I think what uh, you what you touched on. Earlier was uh, an important point, though, about working with constraints initially when you're uh, when the, when the cost of storage or the cost of bandwidth is uh, you know, prohibitive. And in many respects, it, it it informs you know a far more uh, thoughtful design process when you're thinking about what data you need to analyze and how you need to apply that and back to the business case. And and in many respects, I think uh, as as we We've gotten to the point where you know people aren't even thinking about being thoughtful about what data that they uh, <laughs> that they save. Right now, you've got data lakes and data oceans and. Data glaciers, as it were, um, <laughs> right. What about you know? Can you talk a bit about how that uh, the the discipline of looking at a business problem uh, and 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 then being able to apply the data that you're you're pulling off physical assets. You know how that how that's evolved. You know through your career and maybe some of the principles that you learned early on, uh, that may become, be not as, uh, you know, as, as, as widely applied today, given, you know, given some of the luxuries of, uh, you know, of, of easy technologies, but, but, how, you know, how have those principles, uh, really informed the work that you've done, uh, you know, since, since you were, since the early days?
2: Yeah. Um, they, they've stuck with me the whole time. Uh, through different types of technology, megatrends, or things that have happened, you know, unrelated to IoT and stuff like that. Um, you'll probably remember. Do you remember, like, uh, let's say, maybe it was this 98, 99, 2000 timeframe when the whole web service SOAP thing got big?
1: Absolutely. That was uh, <laughs> a,
2: a, another great acronym. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so in my mind, I was sitting there, th- you know, Soap became this big thing, and XML was the biggest thing in the world around technology. And all of a sudden, everybody and their dog is building solutions that can remotely communicate with each other over the Internet using SOAP, web services, and XML. And I remember my mind that was trained as a kid-ish, you know, doing bit-encoded packets, you know, XOR, all the kind of stuff You had to put twiddling, and how important that was, and then watching the pendulum swing to, and I don't want to call these people lazy developers or whatever, but they, they used what they had, right, and it was easy. And so all of a sudden, you're seeing the use of the most bloated data formats and wire protocols I've ever seen. And I know it's really geeky to talk about stuff like that on this podcast, but uh, but it, it it's in, it's still kind of important. And it became more important when the mobile revolution really started taking off.
1: Well then you um, had constraints again, right? So
2: Yes. <laughs> because you think about the earliest days of the mobile revolution. So let's move let's start moving it through the nineties to the late nineties and the early two thousands when you really started to get those first smartphones Um, you know, Blackberries, Windows Mobile, things like that, um, some early Nokia devices, and you had GPRS. And, you know, that's not terribly fast, but, you know, it's like a 28.8 modem, I guess, or something early days. And so all of a sudden, people were building these big bloated web services and wanting to communicate with smartphones back then. And they were wondering why the performance was so horrible. And so all that stuff stuck with me. And I remember, you know, mentoring and, you know, cause I've, you know, always been able to play some pretty prominent roles in the software industry over the years and really pounding how important it is to stay efficient because having great experiences, you know, ultimately we'd have this big app revolution, right? On, on smartphones. And yet those early lessons from the earliest days, uh, precursors to IOT really hit home and make an impact in working with smartphones working with apps anything working and and then uh, and then building large solutions for all kinds of big companies or transport companies and really trying to pound into the heads of people who are building stuff even if you don't have those constraints you need to pretend that you do. You need to assume that whatever you're targeting is some kind of 288K modem um, with the miserable battery life and slow processors and all that. And if you can be successful targeting that, everything else is gravy. Uh, and I think all that stuff applies today in IoT just as well, um, you know, because it's almost back to the future for me (laughs) or or return to the past or whatever when I think about IoT. You know, it's, you know, you don't have as, well, you don't necessarily always have the same kind of bandwidth issues unless you want to build your own networks, you know, doing LoRaWAN or things like that. But, uh, but the sensors, the devices, um, you know, the microcontrollers connected to machines, or, or if, especially if it's things on in the field on a battery and and you you know limited bandwidth, you know, all those same lessons apply uh, for sure. And, uh, and yeah, it's important to to stick to that, and to, you know that discipline is just as important today, I think, as it was you know in the mid nineties.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a new generation of technologists in a way. It's uh, uh, like forgetting how to write. You know, write with a pen and paper, <laughs> because you're yes. so used to to typing things in. Right? It's uh, yeah. you still need to you you still need to know how to use uh, those you know, ba- those basic principles when the when the, when the lights go out or you're or d- you're doing. Absolutely. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'd love to dial dial for the 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 clock forward a bit and sure. get your view on. Yeah, we're kind of the current state of the market and 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 just to set the context a bit if we go back to say 2013 2014 where we had uh, some some big moves by uh, you know GE for instance snapping up um, a number of companies and building up the predicts platform you had PTC making uh, making a making a raft of acquisitions and and uh, you know really starting to put uh, industrial IOT on the map as a, a sector of promise. And there were a number of uh, forecasts that were, uh, I, how should we say, quite, um, uh, <laughs> They were they're, they're, well, we say they were optimistic. They were Very you know, optimistic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even talking about economic value add, I think a lot of people jumped into, into the fray uh, hoping that we would see an inflection. Uh, but it the the market hasn't really you know it, it didn't unfold that way. It's been much more of a you know linear progress and and yeah. you know, some overshoots and some corrections, but um, but generally uh, you know a lot of just steady progress. I'd love to get your view on on the, you know that the evolution of the market really since the uh, we call it sort of the big the big boom in uh, in expectations a few years ago, and and whether we may be in a uh, whether whether that some of those overly optimistic expectations have resulted in a bit of, uh, you know, temerity uh, among businesses in investing and kind of how, you know, just how you you view the, the landscape today. Sure.
2: No, that's good. You know, so back then, you know, and also a lot of us, not a lot of us, some of us may have a different view of this whole thing than others. You know, a lot of people think IoT is some new thing that took off maybe back in 2013 or whatever. And some of us look at the world, you know, who did M2M systems and SCADA systems and all that and we just think of it as an evolution or it's just a a different way to do an old thing. But there was kind of this perfect storm that got people excited, um, and you know, part of that was you know a confluence of things coming together, right? You know, all of a sudden sensors are getting cheaper, and microcontrollers are getting cheaper, and communications, you know, whether it's cellular or whatever, networks are getting more pervasive and ubiquitous everywhere. Um, storage is going to zero, you know, all kinds of things were starting to come together that made that more possible than maybe in the past. Um, you know, because people from the industrial world have been doing this forever. And but the the technologies, the machine-to-machine technologies that have been around for decades, were typically only used by manufacturers or companies who had a lot of money and could afford this kind of stuff. And a lot of those packages came with their own analytics. And you've, there's been plenty of analytics companies over the years, and their their products were pr- prohibitively expensive. And so part of the Perfect storm was, and I hate to, it sounds like a cliche, is when all of a sudden you start to democratize this stuff and things got cheap enough where anybody could play, right? Um, not only did these all these elements that I talked about get a lot cheaper, which made it more possible, but also the the analytics stuff. The analytics went from being the domain of, you know, a few companies to, hey, I can just go to Apache.org and download Spark or Flink or whatever, you know, and Hadoop, well, you, you name it. And obviously I know how to I have to know how to work with it, but all this stuff, you know, open source finally got to be good enough and things that used to be really expensive in many cases became free. So you cram all that stuff together, and you do have an explosion. And you had a zillion startups that showed up at the door of venture capitalists, and and right there on their their pitch deck, they said, "Hey, McKinsey says this is going to be an eleven trillion dollar business, or whatever." And they <laughs> and and now we have hundreds of IoT companies, right? Or hundreds of IoT platforms out there, um, overnight. Uh, doing this gold rush kind of thing be, be, because of that perfect storm, because of analysts with, you know, saying, yeah, we're going to have 50 billion devices connected and it's going to be the biggest thing ever. And we're all going to get rich. Also, when you think of, especially if I think about the platform side of IOT, you know, connecting to things, doing edge stuff, doing server stuff, maybe cloud stuff, that technology looked familiar to lots of people anyone who's ever been a developer or an architect said, you know what? That looks like middleware that I've built a hundred times before. I can do that. And so I think that led to it. And so a lot of people's like, well, I'm going to build it and I'm going to connect to stuff and we're going to do this thing. And so uh, I think that's kind of how the the horse race got started there and, and how we got to where we are with so many players and so much promise. But you're right. We've had a we've kind of had a failure to launch a little bit. The You know, where we thought we'd be is certainly not where we are. Well, no one of the,
1: yeah, I mean, and one of the challenges, of course, is that we have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of these platforms, these application enablement platforms, uh, a proliferation of them, which in in many respects, I, we're starting to see a bit of a shakeout as as you have the infrastructure players like uh, Azure and Amazon Web Services taking care of a lot of the plumbing. But, um, but there's also another dimension which is the uh, the unique challenges and opportunities working with traditional, operational technology companies and I'd love to get your perspective on some of the uh, maybe some of the challenges the opportunities and and uh, you know who some lessons that uh, you know that successful companies that have been able to really bridge that both the the technology and the cultural gaps between you know your traditional sort of non uh, non software mindset industrial companies and then the you know the sort of the rapid agile uh, he, he, you know Uh, you know, ship first and, and uh, move fast and break (laughs) things mindset. So yeah. What's what, what, any, any thoughts on around those, um, uh, those dynamics?
2: Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts. I mean, we should just talk about, you know, Hitachi and, uh, and, you know, the last couple of years of my life at Hitachi building Lumada, um, you know, cause you're knee deep, you're working with one of the large world's giant, you know, industrial conglomerates, you know, you got Hitachi, you've got GE, you've got Siemens, ABB, you know, all kinds of companies like that all over the world. And they're one of the biggest players. And so keys to success or, or lessons learned in that space, because all of a sudden you're, you're at a dominant operational technology company, um, that can really, walk the talk, too. A lot, I'm hearing lots of companies these days, you know, they've been looking at the big kind of pie chart of IoT and the different segments and trying to figure out, hey, where am I going to make money in this space? Uh, people, A lot of people tried the consumer thing, and that hadn't really worked out, uh, you know, because it's a lot of nice-to-have stuff. And so I'm seeing more and more companies over the last couple, three years maybe going, hey, I think this industrial space is the where all the money is. Uh, and they're right. It is. Um, and it's because in the industrial space, well, they've been doing this already for a long time, so it's not a Johnny-come-lately kind of thing. They also have more to lose, um, which is which is a key element to being successful if you're an IoT company delivering a platform or whatever. Um, you know, these OT guys are not big fans of IT guys, for starters. Um, lots of people talk about blending IT and OT, but, it, you, you know, I've had the luxury of spending lots of times in Japanese factories for the last couple of years and working hand in hand, you know, with folks, you know, control systems, you know, really making it real, Um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of, lot of things to glean from all that. And the success of the, you know, we built this industrial IOT, you know, collection of technologies called Lumata Uh, and, you know, the success of that product and our success with the the new Gartner Magic Quadrant for that, you know, it came from being, you know, in the trenches working hand in hand with all the OT guys and the factories and in the bullet trains that Hitachi makes and things like that. And so making it real. And so, um, there's lots of decisions you have to make. So like, it's easy to talk about all the cloud providers, you know, Azure and AWS and Google, jumping in the IT space. And I was part of that too, you know. I was part of the Azure IoT team. Um, I think there was an early belief, it was wrong that IOT somehow required the cloud. I heard a lot of people trying to convince people, other people, that that was the case and that there would be this IPv6 one-to-many relationship between everything on the planet connecting to the clouds. And uh, all you have to do is go talk to someone in a factory or a power plant or a refinery or a nuclear reactor or whatever, and you find out that you're just dead wrong really fast. Um, You find out that there's lots of people who say the data doesn't leave my factory, uh and all of a sudden you can either resist and say, Well, no, no, didn't you know? Didn't you read? Everybody's going to the cloud. Um, and they're they're not interested. And so there's this highly paranoid, highly suspicious, air-gapped world. And when I say suspicious, I mean there are lots of there's lots of companies in different countries around the world who don't want their Data from their factories getting outside their factory because they think their competitors are going to find out what they're doing or find out they have a competitive edge or something like that. Whether it's real or perceived, uh, data sovereignty—you know—inside the factory. Um, most OT people I spend time with, not only do they have a high distress of IT, you know, you know how we often talk about the obviously security is being one of the biggest blockers sure. uh, to IoT taking off. The OT guys. Think that IT causes all the security problems. Huh. <laughs> um, they, you know. Now we can look at OT and, and machines and say, well, a lot of those don't have any security at all. Um, but it doesn't mean that those guys are going to believe you or whatever. Um, but the, um, it's 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 really weird. And so you really have to have a, a deep partnership and be on the same page. And and it can't be confrontational or the IT you know technology people thinking oh we're smarter we, we know what to do um, it, it, it's it's just a non-starter and so Lumada came from that joint deal and it really you know Hitachi's been an OT company for more than a hundred years. And it's been an IT company for more than 50 years. You know, Hitachi started making mainframes back, you know, a zillion years ago and has been in the tech business for a long time. And so it was great having that blend uh, from the get-go and working hand-in-hand with control systems. You know, while we race ahead and talk about AI and blockchain and all this other stuff, it's important to realize (laughs) that most of these machines are still not connected today. Um, you know, we're talking a good game about what you should be doing. I, I you know, I, don't, I, I can't totally back this up, but I'd say 80, 90, 95, whatever plus percent of all these things, these endpoints, so these machines in the industrial space, they're not connected to any IoT system at all mm-hmm. still today after all this hype and after all this talk some m2m systems are connected to the the a lot of times an m2m system will come with its own basic analytics thing package you know like you see a windows 98 machine on a factory floor you know showing you some charts or whatever you'll, you'll see some of that but the reality is is we've gotten ahead of ourselves most of the stuff's still not connected um and you know that's that's kind of a problem. So being able to connect to industrial machines, you know, it's not like doing, you know, REST JSON calls to a Raspberry Pi, right? You know, it's, it's, it's working with industrial machines, and a lot of these are still talking over RS-232 serial, and, and, you know, and they're doing Modbus and BACnet and, you know, a zillion other protocols that, you know, most of these platform players out there have never even heard of, you know? Yeah, and so you have to be. Uh, I still, I still think connecting and interpreting, like when, when you have a, an, you've built an, let's say you've got an edge gateway. You know, Lumada. You know, Lumata had stuff to talk to endpoints that were smart directly. You know, machines that had their own microcontrollers uh, and could, and you know, CPU, storage, RAM, networking, and they could talk all the way back to Lumada core, and that's great. And we also have Lumada Edge you know, gateway components that would help to talk to machines who maybe need a little help, you know, where I have to integrate uh, and and use OPC or something like that and translate and know that, hey, this strange register on this pen of a of serial port means temperature or whatever, you know. And so doing all that hard work, that mapping, um, people, I think people are continuing to overlook the importance of just getting connected and connecting, the, the machines that are most valuable, that have the biggest payoff for customers in getting them monitored, you know, are the very hardest to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that will change over time. Uh, but as you probably know, a lot of, you know, factory equipment, industrial robots, things like that, um, a lot of these machines are in service for decades. Yeah, and, and companies don't just rip and replace because you want them to have – a Raspberry Pi or Arduino embedded in them. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's dec- decades <laughs> long
2: capital replacement cycles. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think the viewpoint of, you know, I, I, I'm i a really pragmatic person and I'm, I'm really interested in getting things, the basics right, uh, instead of racing ahead to things that most people can't understand. And so, being able to connect to those high high value high value machines, Uh, and when I talk about when I say something I said earlier, I talk about people have something to lose. Um, The reason there's success for IoT companies who have the right technology and have the right kind of people have the background in the industrial world, they can be more successful because. As you can imagine, you know, if you're running a factory and you've got all these machines, you know that if a, uh, you know, if a subsystem of some machine starts to fail and it has a cascading effect to the rest of it, and it's it's enough to shut down an assembly line or something like that, uh, or a or a pump jack, an oil rig, you know. S- obviously fails for some reason, you know, any time you have these machines where downtime is equivalent to potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars per hour or per day, those are the folks who are absolutely interested in signing a check for your industrial IoT technology to help head that off at the pass, as opposed to a lot of the consumer things, which I consider nice to have, you know what I mean? Right.
1: Right. Can you point to any uh, any yeah. industries that, that you feel are uh, particularly effective in in harnessing uh, the you know advanced technologies or or, or connected technologies, and, and if, you know, if, if there are any 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 common lessons from the, the folks that get it versus any you know any other industries that that seem to be lagging or, or missing the boat a bit?
2: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, lots of consumer-y type stuff, well, and things that don't always align as well with IoT as as we might like them to, like financial services, right? I I think financial services industry is probably one of the most technically advanced industries in the world, actually, Um, you know, in stock exchanges and things like that. Um, We sometimes think of healthcare as a laggard in some ways, but they're high-tech in other ways. You know, a lot of what we think of as IoT really just came from the manufacturing sector for things they've been doing, or or utilities, or whatever that had SCADA systems, Um, and so they were technically technologically savvy, uh, but maybe they still continue to use the same old stuff that they've had for maybe ten or twenty years, uh, which may make you think they're a laggard. Um, You know, when you think about why someone wants to do IoT people talk about a lot of reasons why, but it's super important to cut back, cut to the chase. You know, why are all these companies in business? They're in business to make money. And so you really need to focus on, you know, is this technology going to make me money? Is it going to save me money? You know, that kind of thing. And there's depreciation things and stuff like that. And so, a company who's who's had some technology that maybe seemed advanced a few decades ago might seem not as advanced today, but a lot of them are like you know I don't want to I don't want to say it's like if it ain't broke don't fix it but they're getting enough incremental value that they're not seeing enough extra value from a new system. Um, like for instance, as you're aware, we're in proof of concept hell right now. Everybody's doing POCs. And, you know, the, we don't have enough stuff happening in production across all companies who are in the IT space, all customers. That's that's pretty well known right now. And people are wondering, why are we not breaking out? Um, ultimately, as you can imagine, it does come back to, am I getting additional incremental value from that POC that's worth it? So a while back in our conversation, we kind of talked about IoT exploding, maybe 2013, when did things get going? And a perfect storm of things getting cheaper. But you could still make the case that in spite of all those things getting cheaper, they may not be cheap enough still, depending on the use case. When when the the sensors, the MCUs, whatever wireless or wired, whatever connectivity, whatever cloud or, or data center... Uh, storage, all those things, you know, you have to add all those things together. And in some cases, unfortunately, you know, that dollar amount is exceeds the, the ROI that you could get for doing it. And so some companies go, wow, you know what? It's kind of cool, but it wasn't worth doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: So – no uh but now we have a, a lot of technologies that have been in the you know in- incubi- you know incubation phase for a while are are now starting to uh, really be ready for prime time and this is one of the areas that we're you know we've been focused on a lot it looks when you certainly when you look at uh, what people call AI or cognitive or machine learning I mean we've had had some major breakthroughs in in ease of use and accessibility with with tools like tensorflow and uh, of course VR and AR are, are kind of moving up the usability curve and uh, you know we have a, you know, a few other things uh, co- uh, collaborative robotics and uh, soft robotics uh, you know different types of automation and and uh, and even blockchain I would love to get your thoughts on you know some of the uh, some of the new tools and techniques that you think might have a real uh, you know meaningful impact in uh, accelerating time value. Value of yeah. of connected technologies.
2: Sure, but oh, you're totally going to hate me. Um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> I, I really have a contrarian view on this, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I bring it on, man. I, we love we love contrarian <laughs> views. Okay, I, I think it's all great. I'm still trying to find a place to sprinkle blockchain and IoT. I know some people are doing it, and a lot of people say they have to be together somehow. I'm I'm happy to find the right use case where it makes sense. You know, blockchain is the world's slowest distributed database. Mm-hmm. Most of its use cases turn out to be the exact same use cases we've been using relational databases for for decades. And also, sometimes when you think about the high-throughput, high-velocity world of IoT, that doesn't align with the slow-as-mud world of blockchain trying to get things done and the extreme energy usage that blockchain requires. So, I'm always open-minded to new stuff, but uh, but I don't want to do it for the sake of doing it. Um, AI scares the heck out of people. Companies, you, you know, we all we're all uh, this group that we're in, this IoT, AI, machine learning, data scientist, whatever group that we're all living in. And we're all talking to each other, and we're all reading the same websites and the same articles. And I would posit that we're all in our own little echo chamber, and we think it's normal. And it's really important to get into your car and drive away from (laughs) – Silicon Valley or Seattle or wherever and drive out into the rest of the country and talk to regular folks who are trying to get stuff done, they are scared to death because we are conflating IoT and things like AI, and we're saying them in the same sentence. And the average folks who are just trying to send natural gas through a pipeline or do their stuff, they really, they're freaked out by it. And... We're at a problem where we still hardly got anything connected still. We still need to solve that. And that's still the most important thing in my mind. It is the least sexy thing. It is the lowest value part of IoT, and it's the part we still haven't figured it out in a big way yet. And so, but when folks hear AI and, you know, deep learning and stuff like that, and they, they glom it all together in their minds, It really puts them off, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not just saying this. Obviously, I I talk to real customers all the time. Yeah,
1: no. In fact... yeah, last last week we had a. Uh, I mean, I had interviewed um, uh, Charlie Oliver, who actually uh, does a lot of meetups and and uh, community events um, for regular non tech people, and and it's you know it's kind of clear that you know there's been a lot of fud around AI, and also a lot of. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're 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 they they're selling a lot of vision yet, but it's um, but I think yeah. we're yeah, we're we're still super early on and with with. Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> And so we need to we as as an industry, as thought leaders, as people participating in this IoT world, need to do a better job of conveying a simpler message that everyone can understand and also convey to customers that there is tremendous value in having your machines connected and just just the act of remotely knowing something instantaneously has value before you apply any kind of analytics at all. Um, so much of the world today is people taking logs, walking around power plants, refineries, driving out in the middle of nowhere in pickup trucks to look at oil tank fields or different things like that, uh, flying on planes to find out stuff people doing service work out in the field, they're capturing data, they're either driving back to the office and transcribing it in computer systems. All this stuff that you thought was part of the 20th century and couldn't possibly be still around anymore, it is still here, and so is paper and pencil. So all that costs time and money and inaccuracies and things like that. Being able to have sensors, video, wireless, put together to do all that stuff and remotely know it instantly, there is just dramatic, tremendous value and people need to recognize that. And they need to be able to think, yeah, I'm gonna do this IoT thing because I'm gonna save this much money and this much time and this, I'm gonna gain these efficiencies, I'm gonna remove human error in transcribing stuff. There's, There's lots of stuff. And this is the easiest stuff there is in IoT. You know, the the very basics of IoT is just remote monitoring, right? Mm -hmm. It's not sexy. It's not AI. It's just, yep, I know what's going on over there. Well, we've been doing it the hard way for a long time, and we continue to. So if you can get to business decision makers and say, we're going to do this simple thing, and here's the use case, and here's the ROI, and here's what you're going to save, and here's how things are going to be more efficient, Um, that's a great message, and it didn't include anything about deep learning, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's it's, uh, and that gets to a, a question I always like to ask, which is about disconnects in the market. and And I think what you have just articulated is that uh, technologists tend to get enamored of of uh, bright, shiny objects and and the latest and greatest things. But I think the um if uh, you what you the point that you were making, I think, is really important. Is that there's a hugely underserved uh, opportunity to bring fundamental value to you know, businesses just by pr- providing basic connectivity and visibility into, into operations. And it, so it's, it's your view that many companies may be actually uh, you know, overselling advanced technology and maybe under underselling or, or, or under addressing the, the real problems that, that can be e- effectively in, addressed in a straightforward manner.
2: Yeah, they absolutely are. They are overselling. They are enamored or, or or they think that they need to talk about these things. Like they think they need to talk about machine learning and different algorithms and having an army of data scientists and training models and training models at the edge and all that kind of stuff. They think they have to say all that to make their IoT platform or whatever seem valuable enough to a customer. Um, it, it's just not true. You know, and and also whether if it's true or not, because I can be in left field, but I can sit back and look at the reality of the situation. uh, None of this stuff's going to matter if we don't get these things connected. (laughs) And so, people need to do a better job of articulating value, ROI, how much money they're going to save, things like that you know, how they're going to do better serving their customers with simple stuff. And so hit it hard with just remotely knowing and and compare that to how you remotely know things today and what that costs you. And then when you're ready to layer on the next thing, layer on simple, simple, simple analytics. If this, then that, right? KPIs, it's easy stuff, you know, that is not rocket science. Stuff, you know. As you might know, most companies today, they might be embarrassed to admit this, they still run their business on Excel. Excel still is the number one analytics tool on the planet. No, The second no place doubt. player is not even close. Yep. Yep. So talk to them in a language they can understand. Talk to them about KPIs, talk to them about things that they can do in Excel. Because I guarantee you giant companies that we can all think of and would be horrified to think that they run their business on Excel, but they do. Huh. And and you'd be amazed the kind of stuff you can do in Excel. You probably know your financial background.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah.
2: Talk <laughs> like that. When you talk about analytics, just layer on, okay, now we're going to react to some KPIs here. You know, we got these values coming in. I know this sounds simple, and it seems like it's almost embarrassing, to say this because surely we're so far past this, but uh, but I think we need a better job. And so I say yeah. connecting is gonna get you this much value. Simple KPI analytics is gonna get you this much more value. I mean, I read stuff all the time that, you know, you, you, you talk about energy savings and things like that. You know, I know folks who are in that space doing IoT and, you know, managing HVAC systems. And guess what? They can go to a customer and say, yep, I'm going to save you 20 or 30% a year on your electricity for your building or apartment complex or whatever. Um, and guess what? All it took was being connected, having some updated stuff with thermostats, and just really the dumbest, simple, if this, then that type API yeah. analytics. Uh, it's even hard to call it analytics, actually. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the customer would go, awesome, you... you all I heard was blah 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 blah. blah save thirty percent a year.
1: <laughs> uh, right, right. Uh, it, 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 no, I think it's a, it's an important message. I mean, it, uh, pay attention to your fundamentals. It's uh, I guess it's a little tough tough love not to not to chase the uh, you know the, the sexiest new um, uh, new idea. But uh, but I think it's a you know that's a that's a that's a, a, a you know a, a well uh, taken. A, a, it's a valuable message. Um, <laughs> I think the one one question I do have, though, is: you look forward over the next five or ten years, are there any uh, kind of key catalysts or enabling t- technologies, whether you know whether it be five G or, uh, or or anything else, that, that you think could make a you know a big difference in in how the market evolves and are uh, and the kind of the last. Uh, uh, Twist to that is is really what you're what you're most optimistic about as well as we look as we look forward.
2: Yeah, five um, G is going to take a while to roll out. You know, if you know how the, the concepts behind it and lots of small cells to get you lower latency and things like that. So uh, you know, as you can imagine, it's not going to be like the change from three G to four G or LTE or things like that. Actually, early five G is still using LTE under the covers for a lot of stuff um I don't think there's anything magic about 5G making IOT better I, once once it's rolled out I mean yeah things will pop up F- things that are latency sensitive you know uh, where we want to do something remotely instead of on board will we'll, that that will certainly be helpful um I'm glad that there's lots of talk about the edge <laughs> um you know one of the first decisions I made in creating Lumata was Lumata's got to be portable. Um, You know, and all you have to do is go talk to customers and you'll find out that in in lots of use cases, you know, again, they they cannot handle the latency of going to a distant cloud or the possibility that the Internet goes down or whatever. Um, And so, and I, you know, and I think there's so much irony in cloud providers saying, well, the edge is really an extension of the cloud to the edge. That's just ridiculous. The edge is the default location. The edge is already here. The edge is what we've been doing this whole time. The cloud is something new. I'm not bashing clouds. cloud because I think there's a lot of great usefulness for cloud stuff. But the edge is the default location and it's where it's already at. And we've been doing that forever. You know, we, that's why we had PCs, right? Mm. Um, and servers on-prem or in a factory. Uh I have customers say I want all these things in my factory, not even in the data center. Um, so I'm I am i am in you know so we, we made sure Lumata was portable from the get-go. Lumata runs right at the edge, right where the machines are because that's what our customers wanted, you know, and it can run air gapped. So that's cool. Uh, newer technologies, um it, I think uh, a few things, it's not necessarily a new technology. I think we need to do a better job of using stuff that's already out there or not racing to create yet another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, even though we have things that are a lot cheaper now than they ever were before, they need to get even cheaper so that, you know, someone wants to make an IOT product, you know, some kind of machine and they want to attach a microcontroller and everything, all the other stuff they need in order to make it a connected product. Um, all those things together, connectivity, storage, whatever, servers, all that kind of stuff, MCUs, still needs to get dramatically cheaper so that it's a fraction, tiny fraction of the cost of the thing, the product they're making, so it's worth doing because people are going to be fed up of paying, you know, 100% more or 500% more for a connected product than they are for a disconnected product, or at least one you can plug into a serial port. Um, I think another big thing Is people, and this is geeky. You know how, you know, I I spend probably a little, a lot of time thinking about, you know, you read what folks say are the big blockers to adoption. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's cost. Uh, Sometimes they say it's too complex. Uh, They say their IT folks do not have the skill sets. They talk about security. And so I think it's important to tackle those things head on. I'm a believer. Uh, you know, I've been caught up in things just like everybody else. So there's a lot of IoT snobs, you know, that all they do is talk about wire protocols and why MQTT is the most efficient wide area thing to do and pushing stuff back and sending commands and whatever. Uh, and so I, I've lived that for a long time at Microsoft and, and, and every, you know, Apache and all this stuff. And my realization now is, to me, it's more important to make sure the space succeeds than to use the very, very best technologies. If that makes sense. Uh, and so I think I'm a I'm a total believer that we need to abandon all those crazy stuff and use I'm, I'm a fan of just using the existing W3C web technologies mm-hmm. that are out there. To be honest with you. Um, for, you know, long range stuff, you, you know, it, I guess it's the, you know, if you compared REST HTTPS S to MQTT, mm-hmm. you know, REST gets trounced, but HTTP is the most pervasive, widely used, widely tested thing on the planet. Nothing even is close. Um, and so I'm a big fan of open standards, but I'm also a big fan of well-used, highly pervasive standards that everyone knows and everyone understands. And so I think I've evolved over time from always, you know, using the most best of breed efficient whatever edge case type things to thinking it's more important for us all to succeed than to to mm. focus on these geeky things.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, so I, I think we shouldn't be building the next protocol. <laughs>
1: right but to focus on business value, right? That's what it all comes comes down Absolutely. to. Yeah, yeah. great. You know? <laughs> so, one final question uh, which I always like to ask is if you have a uh, recommended book or resource that uh, that you could share. Anything that you're uh, you know that you, that you feel strongly about.
2: Yes, and this will align with just what I just said cuz I've been thinking of this independently, but I know some guys at the W3C who've been working on this notion of the web of things. Um, And I think Mozilla is in in on it now a bit too. Uh, But, uh, yeah, a couple of guys who work at the W3C, you know, um, uh, Dominique and Vlad, they wrote a book called Building the Web of Things. And they basically outline how you can, you know, do every last thing that you want to do in IoT using just basic W3C standards. Yep. that are out there that are used everywhere.
1: Uh in fact I I interviewed Dominic for uh actually one of our uh one of our blog interviews so that should oh, be that's uh, that should be up pretty soon. Oh that's great. So yeah, uh, yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah.
2: And yeah, I mean I, I I evolved to that view a long a while ago and then uh and then I connected with those guys and and then they came out with their book recently and I read the book and I think you know you're right. Let's focus on the business value and let's not get so caught up on all the geeky stuff. And so uh let's let's use something that's out there that's pervasive that everybody knows. Uh and so the building the web of things uh you know is, is really illustrates that. Uh and you know and those they there's a one of the IoT platforms I think it's called everything.
1: Mhm.
2: I think it's missing some vowels. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh in it That's right. But, yeah, yeah, it's, it's an IoT platform that espouses kind of those, a lot of those concepts. And yeah. so, uh.
1: He's got yeah. some got some got some great principles there. So uh, no, it's that, that that really ties things together nicely, uh, Rob. And uh, with that, uh, I think we uh, we're, we're running out of time. But um, again, I, I want to thank you for taking the time, Rob Tiffany, the uh, um, who again is is a uh, an, an, an IoT Renaissance man. And uh, please please do check out uh, his blog site, the Internet of Things. Some great content there. Uh, this is Ed McGuire, the Insights Partner at uh, at Momenta, with another episode of Edge. And uh, Rob, I want to sincerely thank you again for you know for taking time to to speak with us. This is uh, really a lot of fun and and uh, very insightful. Absolutely, thanks for having me on, Ed.
0: Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.